You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1159 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the podcast today. As I said earlier this week, I was uh, having some logistical challenges with some travel and all that kind of stuff, scheduling, etc. And uh, it became a very busy weekend. It already was going to be, but if you missed it, I recorded a quick emergency podcast on the Cam Reddish trade on Friday, that encompassed most of my thoughts, but on this show, we'll uh, end, the, end the podcast, I would say, with a little bit more on that, sort of wrapping things up as they stand. Also, I had a two-part podcast this week with Tyler Jones, always fun to talk to Tyler, and we had some bonus audio from Travis Schlenk that dropped on Friday as he talked about the Cam Reddish trade and all the logistics surrounding that. But from here, most of today's show, not all, but most of today's show, we'll be talking about the two games on Friday and Saturday. A couple of losses for the Hawks, obviously a lots of frustration in the fan base right now, and the results are ugly because they lost both of, both of these guys uh, in terms of the back-to-back and the wins that did not come to fruition. The Hawks are now 5-15 and in the last 20 games. They are 17-25 and overall with five straight losses and, of course, 10 consecutive home losses. It is uh, a lot, uh, we'll just say it's a, lot, it's a lot of ugliness in the profile right now, but we'll get into all of that. And uh, this first segment will be actually be about the Friday game in which the Hawks lost to the Miami Heat on the road. I will say that is a game, broadly speaking, in which the Hawks were, quote-unquote, supposed to lose. They were underdogs. They did uh, have leads along the way, and they were definitely competitive. And honestly, I think that was a small step forward overall on Friday, which we'll get into in a second. That was a rematch, of course, from a bad loss on Wednesday. And the Hawks did play with Kevin Herter being questionable with a foot contusion, ended up playing the click click missed both ends of the back-to-back. So the third game that he missed was on Friday, fourth game on Saturday. And Jimmy Butler returned, actually, from Miami after missing Wednesday's game. The Hawks were five-and-a-half-point underdogs on Friday. So, again, not, not an embarrassing result by any means, but um, lots of stuff to get into quickly here. They ended up starting DeAndre Hunter, which is not a huge surprise. as He gets more acclimated. He's been a longtime starter for the Hawks in his current role. But they also started Gorgie Jang in both ends of the back-to-back. People were asking me about this. We'll get into it more later on in the podcast. Um, could be matchup-based on both of these instances. You know, Miami played a little bit bigger with Yurt 7 at center, and then the Knicks are always pretty big with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Ray up front, but um, obviously Capella is sorely missed in those matchups, but Okongwu um, had some foul trouble, to be sure, in both these games, including three fouls in the first four minutes that he played on Friday in the first half, but uh, adding Jane to the rotation means it was a 10-minute rotation on on uh, on Friday, I should say, and then it was actually 10 again on Saturday with just a different 10 that we'll get into later on, but the Hawks dug a serious hole in both games, actually, but on Friday, they trailed 30-13 to 13 out of the gate. They got, they got down to 10 at the end of the first quarter and then actually opened the second quarter with a 14-3 run to lead and then led by six points at the half because the offense was very, very good in the first half on Friday against Miami. They shot 56% from the floor, 9 of 19 from three, and a whopping 17 of 17 at the line in the first half against Miami. The bench came alive, which was actually a positive theme if you want to try to find a couple from this weekend, was the bench was much better in both games. Gallinari had a really good half with 15 points in the first half against Miami. Herter had a pretty efficient 13 points off the bench, and then DeLon Wright had some moments as well. They had some foul trouble with both Okongwu um, and Collins, so they had kind of a uh, sweet rotation a little bit at times on Friday, but it was kind of all perimeter-based. 
in the first half of Friday night's game. Defensively, though, it wasn't fantastic. They had some improvement in the second quarter. Honestly, it was sort of a junk zone that ended up working for Atlanta. They forced better they forced better contests, I would say, some good intensity overall defensively. You know, they gave up too many free throw attempts, for sure, in the first half, but it was much better overall. And I think Hunter flashed his upside defensively on Butler a few times in the first half of that contest. Um, they led the entire third quarter also against Miami. As many as 10 points, actually, the Hawks had an advantage in that second half. There was a terrible call on a Kongwu late in the third quarter that infuriated everyone, I think, up and down the roster, uh, coaching staff, fan base, everyone. It was a bad call, for sure. That ended up basically kind of being uh, you know, a draw of a third quarter, but the fourth quarter got, a, got away from them a little bit, obviously, on the way to the loss. The Hawks led by seven with six minutes to go. So, you know, throw out everything else if you want to just fast forward to that point. The Hawks had a seven-point lead. Six minutes to go. And yes, you're on the road, but they lost the rest of the game 21-8 to uh, in favor of Miami. So it was tied with three minutes to go after the lead was gone. But they're, again, still kind of in the game there. But the offense really, really stalled beyond the eight points in six minutes. They had two points in an eight-possession stretch at the end of the game. Now, you could throw out the last one because it was kind of a garbage time shot at the buzzer, basically. But a two-point and seven-possession stretch to kind of lose the game at that point in time. Um, Trey Young struggled in that stretch. It was kind of ISO-heavy, kind of bogged down offensively. Um, there was a pretty questionable charge call that was uh, assessed to Trey. I probably would have challenged it, honestly, but I think they probably would have lost the challenge. So, you know, kind of win-lose win situation there. But that was a, the one sort of notable thing there. But the offense was really rough in that stretch. And then there was a, also a disastrous inbounds pass by Kevin Herter. Um, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, Herter usually does fine on inbounds passes, but there's been three or four instances in his career so far where he's had some high-profile mess-ups in that situation, and I think Kevin's a really good player, but that was another one in this instance where Hunter and Collins collided, ended up being a turnover in the final minute, and there was a timeout available that he could have called that would have saved some punishment, and obviously he had um, some time to assess and realize there wasn't anything really going there. But So a bad moment there. And Jimmy Butler then uh, kind of had the dagger with a nice finish uh, through contact, actually, o- over Collins. And then the Hawks had a chance from there, but had a repossession and it kind of kind of a gallow heave. And that was the end of that. So um, broadly speaking, on Friday, uh, the offense, again, really bogged down in the fourth quarter. But just to put it in simpler terms, they only scored about 0.86 points per possession in the fourth quarter. Um, they had a great night offensively on the whole. But the fourth quarter, and in particular the last six minutes, got away from them in a big way. Um, they shot well at the, at the line and from three, 42% from three in the game on Friday and 26 for 30 at the free throw line. So that's really, really nice to see overall. But they actually turned the ball over more than usual, 16 turnovers in the game, and then they fell well below their average offensive rebound rate. Again, that's where Capella has been missed in a big way on offense uh, in, in, this, in this stretch. But, um, you know, good shooting, but not great everywhere else for the offense on Friday. And then defensively, it was not fantastic. There was a good second quarter again, but the Heat scored about 1.3 points per possession in the game, which is very bad defense. Um, Miami had a 69% true shooting mark, which is uber, uber elite. And the Hawks gave up uh, well above Miami's offensive rebound rate as well. So the glass was a problem. The shooting was a problem for Miami. They did force turnovers in the game, which is good. The Hawks don't usually do that. 16 turnovers from, from the Heat in that contest, but that was kind of the only bright spot defensively with the exception of that zone in the second quarter that kind of flummoxed the Heat along the way. 
Um, for once, the Hawks had killed when Trey and John were playing, actually, and it was not the bench on Friday. But with the loss, they fell, you know, even further down. And, you know, individually, we'll kind of, you know, normally we do a whole full segment on this, but I'll kind of breeze through on this one because there's two games to get to. But in general, the bench was definitely better than starters on Friday. Uh, Herder had 15 points off the bench, um, was pretty aggressive, hunting his own shot. Um, TLC had a nice moment where he had a three and actually it was plus 10 in his 17 minutes. DeLon Wright did DeLon Wright things, eight points, four assists, three steals, very active defensively and had 13 minutes and a plus 14. So they obviously dominated with him on the floor. Okongwu had some nice moments, but had a bunch of foul trouble that cost him some time. That's been a theme for him this year. And then Gallo was much better than he's been in a while, actually. Had 18 points on 14 shots, basically, if you factor in free throws. Was efficient, was productive, was plus 10 in 34 minutes. And then the starters, um, I thought everybody was generally okay other than Bogdanovich. He was pretty rough, let's just say, offensively, physically, uh, moving slowly, defensively was rough as it's been for a while now, but he had seven points on seven shots. Um, that's tough. Um, did have five assists, but uh, a rough one from him. Gorky Jang getting sort of uh, acclimated was fine. Had two points, four rebounds, a steal and a block in 15 minutes, but the big the big names, Collins, 16 points on 13 shots, but uh, fouled out in 30 minutes, was uh, minus 21. Trey was minus 20 in his minutes at 24 and 9, but defensively was um, having a rough one, let's just say, against Miami. And then Hunter had some nice moments, I'll say that. If they were looking for a bright spot, aside from the bench overall, it was probably Hunter's play. 20 points, had three blocks. Um, didn't have a rebound, which is kind of strange. Um, not a great rebounder at this point in his career, honestly, but had two assists, made three threes, um, made four of six from two. That's a line for four attempts, so some bright spots there from DeAndre Hunter. But again, on the whole, it was a defensive focused loss, I'll say, on Friday. The offense was pretty good until the closing stretch. If you want to circle that as well, that was kind of what led to the loss. And uh, we'll get into everything else from Saturday because there's more to, cut, more to touch on, that's for sure, on this podcast. But before we do that, I want to hear from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Shopify. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big businesses so that upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, this podcast started out at a pretty low level. Now it's at a much higher level, and we're not going to stop there because success is a million milestones on a forever involving path. Like mine, Shopify powers over 1.7 businesses from first scale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and much more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of your conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day, and Shopify also instantly lets you accept all major payment methods. Shopify has thousands of integrations with third-party apps from on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots to and beyond. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success, and do it all in one place. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA right now. That's shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, we'll dive in now to the Saturday game and what became a 117-108 to loss for the Hawks against the Knicks. Um, 
A back-to-back with travel is never easy for any team. That's obviously worth noting in this game. As the Hawks had to come back from Miami, it was actually an 8 o'clock game in Miami and then a 7.30 game the next day. Um, no Cam Reddish revenge game in this spot. In fact, Reddish, the Knicks kind of said that he's going to be out for a while with the ankle injury, which we'll touch on again later on in the, in the podcast. But he was, uh, he was in uniform for the Knicks. Well, he was on the bench, I should say, for the Knicks in this game. It was not, it was not active to play, though. And then Kemba Walker and Derrick Rose were out for the Knicks. So they were actually shorthanded in the backcourt, which is uh, makes it even more frustrating that the Hawks couldn't, couldn't get stops at times in this game. Um, frustratingly, and I, I think alarmingly so, um, Bogdanovich was added to the injury report with knee soreness. That's the same right knee, actually, as last year and the struggles that he had in the playoffs where he obviously, you know, there was some real concern about his knee uh, just a few months ago. And he's not been on the injury report for it this year, but he's definitely been a step slow. He's listed as questionable and then ruled out. So that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know anything beyond that. But right now, I'd be worried if I was the Hawks about that knee because it's been, I would say, barking at him for a while. And just if you look at him um, physically, the way he's been moving this year, it might be a concern long term. But that's just me uh, speculating. I'm not reporting anything. Elsewhere, Capella was out again. Um, and then Gallo was actually questionable with Achilles or ended up playing. The Hawks were favored in this game. Uh, people were asking me why that is. Um, I don't have a great answer for you, other than the fact that the Hawks were at home and the Knicks were missing their shot creators in the backcourt. But, you know, I thought the Hawks could have won this game. It was definitely there for the taking if they had played great. They played, you know, not you know not disastrously badly in this game. I think if this was just like a regular loss in the middle of the season and the Hawks hadn't been scuffling for so long, it would not have been a night that, I, you, that you would circle and just like, you know, yell and scream about. But they have not won a game in a while, and uh, it was frustrating up and down. So we'll get into it now, but uh, that's sort of setting the table a little bit for this one. Uh, there was an obscene early pass from Trey Young to John Collins for the first bucket of the game, and uh, Collins actually had a nice pass to Trey um, on the one possession that I think Vince Carter noted was one that's not been uh, made too often by the Hawks, at least in previous years, and Collins has kind of come a long way as a passer. Um, they played DeLon Wright early in this game alongside Trey Young, and then actually reinserted Lou Williams into the rotation. So I thought that might happen in this game. I don't love it, in fact, but Lou was better than he's been, I think, for most of the season in this spot. So if you want to say that maybe he's fresh after sitting out for a while, that might be the case. Um, I still am more on Team Skylar Mays of those two, but Lou, you know, I'm not going to criticize Lou. Lou. Lou was fine in this game, fine to good. So uh, no, no issues there, but something to keep an eye on because, of course, Bogdanovich's spot in the rotation, uh, he was out in this game. And then with Reddish gone, they only have three wings. Then they kind of used DeLon as the fourth wing in this game and kind of had Lou um, play when Trey was off the floor, which is at least more explainable, that's for sure, than using uh, Lou with Trey and all that kind of stuff. Um, let's just say, you know, the second unit, full bench units did happen a lot in this game, and they were actually decent, so I'm not going to criticize them too much. I don't love that on the surface. In fact, I don't love the Lou-Gallo pairing in particular, but alas, they actually were going to do that even more, I think, because Akongo got a second foul early in his stint in the first half, which kind of left him on the bench. And again, they started Gorgie in this game. I'll put a pin in this now. Uh, I don't love starting Jang over Okongwu. I do understand the theory, and I think it looks worse to fans than it actually is, because Okongwu is still playing the majority of the minutes. They kind of gave the, you know, it's kind of been called the Keith Bogans, according to like Nate Duncan and people like that, um, where Jang kind of just plays a starter role and faces up against centers, but it's really Okongwu playing more. So that's... You know, I get it, especially when you factor in a Kongwu's foul trouble, which has been an ongoing issue and still is, um, at least in the short term. But it does limit you how much you can play a Kongwu, which we'll come back to later on. He could have played more in this game if he had started, etc. So I don't love that. I don't hate as much as everybody else does. But um, they're not saying that Jing is better than a Kongwu. They're just it's kind of a stagger in uh, in operational approach. Anyway. Offensively, they were pretty good in the first half. Um, Gallo had some uh, springs on a dunk that was pretty impressive before halftime. Um, the second unit did scuffle a little bit in their first stint together, but they were only, only down four when the starters came back. 
and the Knicks had their, their first big run of the game at the end of the uh, first half with seven consecutive scoring possessions for New York to go up by 13 uh, late in the half and then uh, actually up by 14 at the halftime break. Defensively, it was kind of a mess in the first half, and uh, just like it happened on Friday, the Hawks dug a very big hole, they climbed out of it, but it wasn't, you know, it's hard to do that and then also sustain. You know, they were down 17 early against Miami. They came back, led for a large portion of the game, but, you know, they still have to spend a lot of energy. In this game, you get down 14 at the half because you allow 140-plus defensive rating. They scored 65 points on 45 possessions, the Knicks did, in the first half. That is brutal, and that kind of showed up on the, on the, uh, on the eyeball test as well. New York shot 6% from the floor in the first half. The offense was pretty good for the Hawks. Three turnovers, that's obviously a really good number. They shot well from three. They did not shoot well from two. And again, nothing on the offensive glass. It's been a continuing issue without Capella. I thought Gallo was pretty good in the first half, though. Trey had 12 points to lead all scores for the Hawks, but it was not efficient in the first half. He was better after halftime, but alas. The second half... They got down 17 early, and they scored five points in the first four minutes, which kind of hurt them in their comeback bid, but they, they did actually have a nice little comeback push from there. A 7-0 run to get down to 10 pretty quickly. When Okongwu came in, he was awesome. Um, he absolutely ate up a drive by R.J. Barrett and just kind of denied him at the rim. They were down double digits for most of the quarter. In fact, all of the quarter until Gallo hit a three with about two seconds to go to cut the lead down to eight. It was kind of a missed opportunity, I thought. The Knicks were 7 of 25 from the floor in the third quarter, but the Hawks only won the quarter by 6. Probably should have been a little bit closer than that, but they still cut the lead down to 8. They were down 13 early in the fourth again, but then there was another 9-0 run where TLC hits a 3, and then the Kongu got going. He had two, two buckets in a row, plus a huge block on Randall, and then Lou hit a jump shot. And honestly, the Kongu was just dominant in that stretch on both ends of the floor, but especially defensively, he was flying around and playing great there. Um, they got within 4 with like 9 minutes to go, cut into that from there. I thought it was a little bit dangerous how long Nate rode the full bench unit. Now, it's kind of that, I would say, eternal question of, like, do you ride the good lineup or do you ride um, guys who are more proven? And the Hawks' bench units have not been good this year, but they obviously led the comeback. So it's kind of like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Basically, in, that, in that situation, Nate left them in for probably longer than I would have, honestly, but it didn't burn them. They were down two with seven minutes to go after Akongo had another highlight reel block. He was awesome. And then Gallo and Lou hit jump shots. But then from there, it kind of let up a little bit when they missed two shots in a row, Gallo and Lou did, and then Fournier hit a couple jump shots, and it was back to six. They called timeout, Stars came back in with 6.20 to go, and they left Gallo in there at, alongside Collins at center. Um, people did not like pulling a Kongwu in that spot, and I totally get it. A Kongwu had been awesome. He had been the biggest reason why they were pushing at that point in time. Um, my only note on this on Twitter, and I'll say it again now, is that there is Pretty much no universe in where Akong was going to play the final 18 minutes of the game. He came in with six minutes to go in the third quarter and hadn't come out again. So I know he's a young guy. I'm not saying otherwise, but he expends a lot of energy. He's playing. He's flying around. That's why he's good. But it's not easy to play center and do all of what he's being asked to do and then play 18 straight minutes. He's just never done that before, basically, in the NBA. And I think that's not realistic to ask him to never come out there. What I will say is that they could have easily gotten him back in the game, and they didn't do that. Uh, Nate kind of talked around it a little, bit, a little bit after the game when he was asked about it by Chris Kirshner and just kind of said that the lead was already uh, you know, too big at that point, something like that. He was, I'm not sure of the exact wording, but he kind of talked around it. I think that they probably should have gotten the Congo back in. Again, the timing, you can argue with like when they took him out, not putting him back in, how that was handled. My only point is they could not have played him the entire rest of the game. And people were kind of pointing out that Gallo played the whole fourth quarter. I said this kind of in a kind way. Probably be a little bit more direct here on the podcast. Um, the way that Gallo plays and the way that Kongwu plays is not the same. Um, number one, Gallo's played for a long time and kind of knows what to do to conserve energy, but 
Gallo floats on both ends of the floor. That's kind of why he's a bad defender in some respects. He's not flying around, covering ground, you know, being an athletic force like a Kongwu is. So it's not exactly apples to apples. Yes, Gallo is 10 years older, but, uh, you know, side by side, it, it's a lot more difficult physically to do what Kongwu's doing. And again, 18 minutes in a row for him is not ever going to happen, basically, once you just absolutely have to. So, anyway, um, should have brought him back in, in my mind, but um, that, they didn't do that. And that wasn't like the why they lost, but definitely hurt them, I thought, defensively. But the biggest thing is, you know, they couldn't get stops. I mean, they, they scored offensively pretty well when Starter came back in originally. Um, Gallo had uh, some issues defensively. Randall kind of beat him up a little bit. They made some jump shots with Gallo and Trey. There was a pretty bad air ball by DeAndre Hunter at one point that was not ideal um, on a good on a good look, actually. But a brutal swing happened with, three, with about three minutes to go. Randall lost the ball, scrambled around the lane for a long time, ended up gathering and scoring at the shot clock buzzer. Um, should have been a travel in my mind, also in the mind of Nate McMillan, who was furious with the play, pretty visibly, but that ended up being a, uh, a bucket that put the Hawks down by eight. Um, it was actually fouled as well. He missed the free throw, but after that, it was an empty trip, a 48-3, empty trip again, another bucket, and the Hawks are down by 13 with two minutes to go. And that's basically the end of the game. So the Hawks lost the game in a number of ways, but when it actually was over was from that like two-minute stretch from like four minutes to two minutes, in which they just, uh, everything, went, everything, everything went the Knicks way at that point in time. They called timeout, and Trey hit a three, actually, after the timeout to make the game at least kind of competitive again, but uh, that was going to be the end of that, and they never were able to come, come back. So, yeah, frustrating in a lot of ways, but we'll have uh, more on this one before we wrap up the podcast. But first, a word on the show from our friends at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, well, I'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline.ag remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. And with the new year, we have new updated desktop and mobile websites to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started. With football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline.ag for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports action. And again, 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started. BetOnline, where the game starts. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions are in full swing. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in that plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike protein bars and some other corners of the market that can be chalky or waxy. Built Bar tastes fantastic. Sometimes it's just boring to eat healthy, and by week three of eating healthy, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where is the chocolate? But with Built Bar... Every bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes on your home or your pantry or in the office or in your car, wherever you might be hiding something sweet. Throw out all that sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's absolutely healthy and tastes incredible with Built Bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And that way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. As always, there are amazing flavors to choose from, from coconut almond to peanut butter brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, mint brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. And beyond that, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. Check out Built.com often to see what's coming up. And right now, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your order at Built.com. All right, and we'll close the podcast with the final thoughts on Cam Reddish and all of that stuff from the trade market, but first, some overall breakdown uh, information and takeaways from the game on Saturday. 
Again, the 10th straight home loss, that's an impossibly long streak. They haven't won a home game in almost two months. It was before Thanksgiving, November 22nd. That's just kind of inexplicable. There's some randomness in there, but still, they're just playing uh, terribly at home, and you can't do that in the NBA, as Nate, as Nate McMillan even says uh, openly. Uh, overall, the offense was good enough to win in this game. They scored about 118 points per hundred possessions. That's usually going to be more than enough to win. 50% from the floor, 36% from three on big volume. That's all good. Nine turnovers, that's a very good number. But only four offensive rebounds, that's really brutal. Again, they're missing Clickapella there in a big way, and um, that didn't uh, not necessarily come through in terms of you know overall results, and like that's not why they lost. But the offense was good enough. They just couldn't uh, push it over the finish line and have the complete offensive effort. Um, defensively, it was really bad. Again, um, the Knicks has a, had about a 129 offensive rating. That's dreadful, um, especially when you factor in the Knicks are not very good on offense, especially when you factor in again that the Knicks were without Rose and Kemba. That's just uh, inexplicably bad. The Knicks scored 30 points or more in all four quarters. They shot 51% from the floor and 42% from three. Um, you know, they had a good night shooting for sure. Some of that's a credit to them, but still um, pretty bad defense overall. Um, some bad rotation stuff from the Hawks. I think that, you know, just like kind of getting lost on switches or um, over-rotating or not giving the second efforts, et cetera. You know, play by play on that, but it was, uh, it was a mixed bag of madness defensively. And then defensively, the Hawks didn't have a great job on the rebound on the, on the, on the glass, I should say. The Knicks had 11 offensive rebounds, and the Hawks getting just worked on the glass does hurt because at the end of the game, the Knicks took three more field goal attempts than the Hawks, which is a small number, but still, and they had nine more free throw attempts than the Hawks. And if you just lose that battle in a close game, it can kind of burn you, and it happened a little bit along the way here. So player-wise, we'll, we're not going to go through everybody, but some highlights quickly here. I thought Kongwu again, in the second half was awesome. We went through the whole thing earlier, but um, he was... 12 points on six shots, five rebounds, two blocks, steal, made a bunch of wow plays defensively. Truly, like, showing off his upside. You know, there's always some stuff that he won't be able to do at 6'8", but for the most part, he's a modern center. He does everything very well defensively. The foul stuff is concerning. He still had four fouls in 24 minutes, so that's, I'm sure, part of the reason why we're trying to limit him a little bit. I think Nate should have played him more if they could have in this spot, and I think Conwood was very good. So if you want to look for some bright spots from Saturday in particular, he is one of them. Um, I thought Gallo was better. Again, in this game, the last two games, you know, a back-to-back when he was on the, on the injury report as questionable to have 17 points on 14 shots and four rebounds and two assists. I thought Gallo was about as good as you can ask. Defensively, obviously, he's bad, so no question about that. But um, hit four threes, six point, uh, six, six of 14 from the floor, so not like super efficient, but still efficient enough and uh, did enough on offense. I, thought, I mentioned before, I thought Lou was pretty good. By Lou standards, had seven points and four assists in 14 minutes. Um, Wright did a lot of Wright stuff. He was fine. TLC had a couple big shots along the way. So the bench was good. Again, you know, they weren't like dominant like they were on Friday in the plus-minus game, but they were uh, better than starters for the most part. Um, I thought Herter struggled in terms of his shooting in this game. It was 0 of 4 on twos. Uh, sorry, 2 of 4 on twos, 0 of 4 on threes. Six points. They have, they have six assists. It was actually more than Trey. Uh, a rarity when Trey plays a whole game and does not leave the team in assist, but that, that happened in this game. That's a very, very, very rare occurrence on this Hawks team, but Herter had six, um, six rebounds as well for her. So he did a decent job in the floor game, but um, not his best defensively, and then didn't have a shot going in this spot. Um, Hunter wasn't quite as good on this night. Uh, he had trouble with Randall. Tough matchup for him, obviously. One-on-one with Randall was going to be tough, but they kind of had to overhelp a few times on that. I thought Collins was okay, but not particularly good. Um, maybe a below-average game from him overall. 13 points and 8 shots, so that's he was still efficient, but defensively wasn't his best. Uh, did have one help side block, but um, had three, round, three rebounds. Not his best work. And then uh, Trey had an up-and-down night. He still ended up with 29 points um, on 25 shots, so pretty efficient, reasonably, at least so, but 4 of 12 on threes um, is fine, but not good. Five assists, three steals, did have four turnovers, so... You know, 
good like active hand stuff defensively, but was certainly vulnerable at times. Then offensively, he was pretty good, but not like an A-plus game from him overall. We'll leave it there for now, but uh, obviously a bad loss. We talked about it a lot, but uh, it's a stretch where you just, you know, again, in a vacuum, losing this game at home to the Knicks on a back-to-back is like, a f- it's something that happens over the course of a season. But 5-15 and 15, the last 20 games and 10 consecutive home losses is just inexplicable. Like, you can't, you can't do that if you're, if you're trying to be a competitive, contending team, and that's just not happening right now. From there, um... Final thoughts on the Reddish stuff, for sure, just before we get out of here. Um, I will just plug again the full audio from Travis Schlenk that's available on Friday. Um, the headliner there, um, if you want to listen to the whole thing, I definitely would still recommend that. But um, the thing that made the national rounds was that Reddish, uh, at least according to Schlenk, Schlenk confirmed that Reddish wanted out, basically. He said that Cam came to the team in the offseason and wanted to find a new home, and they tried to com- they tried to uh, accommodate that. He commended him, so did Nate McMillan, by the way, for doing things the right way and uh, at least showing up and not not sulking and not, not going to the press and all that stuff. But um, that definitely contributed to the situation. You can certainly litigate how much of that had to do with um, him being traded, but you know, when, when a guy wants out openly like that, it's going to lead to him being out more times than not. Um, there were some outlets reporting that the Hawks wanted Quentin Grimes in the trade, which would have been nice. He's a pretty solid, you know, role player kind of guard, combo guard kind of guy. Um, I would have liked him as well, but um, the, the Knicks probably said no, said no to that, as you would assume at this point in time. Um, Chris Christian reported the Hawks have, do not have plans to move Kevin Knox right now. He was in uniform tonight. Um, he's not had a practice, so I, I knew he wasn't going to play tonight, um, at least unless something crazy happened. But we'll see if they try Knox at some point. People that I was uh, asking about that watch the Knicks closer than I do think that he's kind of more of a four at this point. Maybe uh, he, he's played a little bit of a three. The thought was that he could potentially be a three in the NBA. He struggled as a pro, as I talked about a little bit on the Reddish Emergency Podcast. Knox has not been very good, but he is talented enough to be a former lottery pick and maybe could find a, uh, a new life as a backup four. So we'll see how that goes if they try to play him in the near future. Um, as far as the asset stuff is concerned, we went through all the projections on the podcast reacting to the show, but again, the Hawks will get the pick if it falls outside the top 18 this year from Charlotte. If it's inside the top 18, it kind of goes from there and rolls over three more seasons. But um, it has to be said also, the Hawks could use that pick in a trade to be sure, between now and the deadline, or even after that, at the draft, etc. The Hawks have extra picks. They have their own pick, um, so they have a nice stockpile of assets to trade with if they'd like to do that. And also, if they keep the pick, the calculus is essentially you know, a year and a half of team control on Reddish in exchange for four years of team control on a projected you know, mid-late first-round pick. So that depends entirely what you think of Reddish. I've actually, it was a good breakdown from Sam Messini of The Athletic that I recommend from a national standpoint on the Reddish deal. Also great stuff from Petrie Hoops folks uh, on the Reddish deal as well. So up and down there, good analysis out there. But essentially it all comes down to what you feel about Cam Reddish. And again, there are non-on-court factors. You know, him wanting out is a factor that definitely matters. You can decide how much that matters, but when a guy doesn't want to be there, that does contribute to things, and we'll never know how much it did. But um, just in terms of just on-the-court stuff only, you know, if Cam blows up, it's going to look bad for the Hawks, as I said on, on, on that emergency re- reaction podcast, and that, that might happen. Schlenk acknowledged that as well. There is downside here for Atlanta if Cam puts it all together, but we'll see what happens in the future. I don't think it's a disastrous trade. You know, Hawks fans, I think a lot of them did not like it. I totally get that. People like Cam a lot. I think it's a reasonable return for what he has been but also has some real downside so we'll see what happens in the future but for this season only um, I don't think that it's a big negative for how he had been playing right now but they lose some depth on the wing the return is not overwhelming by any means Knox is kind of just a throw in at this point in time and I don't think that Cam was going to reach his potential in Atlanta most likely because of all the factors in play but um, this would be a deal we can't really evaluate for a while so uh, let's just put a pin on that we'll come back to it when we need to Last thing before we get out of here, the Hawks play on MLK Day on Monday at home against Milwaukee. Uh, the Bucks are better than the Hawks. <laughs> uh, the Bucks lost tonight, though, 
um, against Toronto at home on Saturday. Um, so an even rest standpoint for those two teams. Um, a rematch, of course, of the conference finals, which the Hawks lost to Milwaukee, and of course they went out and won the championship. The Hawks had their best win of the season, potentially, against Milwaukee. Uh, it's about two months ago. On, on November 14th, the Hawks beat Milwaukee by 20 at home, and that game started a seven-game winning streak that was the high point of the season so far. Um, worth noting that Middleton did not play in that game, their second-best, third-best player from Milwaukee, but Trey was awesome in that game against Milwaukee. He's had some good moments against, against the Hawks in the past, and the Hawks played great in that game. Obviously, a lot's changed since then. But um, the Hawks have home court, and we'll see if they can get off the schneid. That's a tough matchup, to be sure, and we'll have full coverage of that game when it happens. Uh, I don't think the Hawks will be favored in that game unless uh, there's some injury stuff um, beyond what the normal stuff is for Milwaukee. But it's a winnable spot at home. I know no one wants to hear that right now. Uh, and then the Hawks are actually at home all week. They play Wednesday against Minnesota at home and Friday against Miami at home, and they go to Charlotte next Sunday, and then they're back for five more at home. So they have so many home games, um, eight of the next nine or at State Farm Arena. And uh, nobody loves that because they've lost it in a row. Usually, though, you want to play at home. And honestly, uh, Milwaukee's a tough game, obviously. It's a national TV game, 6 p.m., etc. But after that, a lot of these games coming up at home are pretty winnable. Minnesota, even Miami's a winnable game. Sacramento's a winnable game. Boston, the Lakers in their current form. Toronto, etc. So we'll see if they can right the ship here. But the uh, clock is ticking, let's just say. Uh, overall, on the weekend, you know, not good. 0-2. And uh, as I look at the standings right now, as I record this at about midnight Eastern on Saturday into Sunday, the Hawks are four and a half games out of the play-in. Again, the Hawks are four and a half games out of the play-in, and now we are officially in the second half of the season. So are they better than that? I do believe they are still. Maybe I'm naive. I think the roster is a lot better than that. But right now they're in 12th, and they're closer to 13th than they are to 11th. So uh, a lot of work to do for Atlanta, who is now they're now nine and fourteen at home on uh, sorry eight and eleven at home for the season nine and fourteen on the road, and uh, a mess overall. So we'll have a new podcast after the game on Monday into Tuesday to begin your week. But again, it's been jam packed. We did six shows last week if you include the bonus audio plus this one over the weekend. So uh, please subscribe to the podcast. We're trying to do everything we can, even when I'm traveling and uh, tied up, etc. I always try to give you the best that I can. So please subscribe to the show. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Check us out on Twitter at Hawks. Check out me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland. And we'll see you after the game on Monday.